Hello, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of our podcast, Real AI Now. Today, we have a special guest, Lukas Lewandowski. Hi, Lukas. Thank you for <laughs> Hi, joining Paul, how us. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Um, I hope you're doing well, too. I hear you are in Greece. So this is... Starting uh, my summer, yes. Very, uh, very jealous of that. Um, so, uh, Lucas, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us. Um, Lucas is leading a unit, uh, data mesh platform unit at um, at Swissria Global Reinsurance Company, and he has a lot of experience in this field, at least a decade, probably more, fifteen years of experience in dealing with data, these topics of data in enterprise and financial services. So very happy to have you here today, Lucas. I'll fire right up with a question um, and with with a hot, hot topic, which is uh, AI and machine learning. How much is that real in insurance and how much is that hype? How would you say in terms of percentage? Um, good question. So first, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. Um, it's a loaded question, right? It's one of those one of those problems where I think we we talk a lot about advanced technologies, and especially in the you know big old uh, financial industry that tends to be very stable and not necessarily has the label of the most uh, innovative. Um, how much does it really help in our daily business? Would probably be the the the, the way to answer that. And I think realistically, we are still quite early on the journey, right? We are not a company who is uh, AI driven, right? Or even fully digitized, right? Some of our mm -hmm. processes are just not digitized, right? To, to, to the point right. where we can start working on, on automation. So I think there is a lot of hype, but there is an element that we should not forget, which is that some, some of the applications mm -hmm. of AI technology, so maybe more specifically ML or even more specifically, you know, applied statistics can very quickly change uh, the results of our business because, mm -hmm. you know, at the size at which we operate, right, even one successful implementation can have a very material impact, right, which is why a lot of work and a lot of scrutiny is kind of put into where we can apply uh, new technologies. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, give us. Uh, could you give us an example of like uh, what what you just said? Um, they can change the way we uh, we do business. How can that change? The yeah, I think I think I think I can. So so you know in the in the insurance reinsurance world that I've been you know working very closely with uh, for you know, last ten years, uh, one of the big topics has always been dynamic pricing, right? So mm -hmm. all kinds of strategies of quoting specifically for that you know circumstance for that specific risk right of that specific mm -hmm. client and that specific point in time uh because the insurance industry you know for, for the for the better and for the worse tends to be very kind of generalist right it's about uh, high level assessments right uh, multiple people kind of chipping into the same risk pool right you actually don't want to be too nuanced right and mo most of the time it's uh, mm -hmm. our business is not the same as netflix recommendations right yeah but uh, but there is a lot of opportunity to assess risk better and uh, especially in the areas where we uh, where our simplified approach underestimates certain risks right mm -hmm. or does not take all the 
risk factors into account because mm -hmm. we simply just did not get all the information that we happen to have across the company into mm -hmm. that decision, right? We, did not, right? we do not feed all the available information into the decision. And this is where I think the opportunity is very big, right? And just being more aware, right, right of, of the description of the risks that we try to underwrite. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, uh, I, I would like to stay again in an example, if 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 uh, if you allow me. So, mm -hmm. for example, what are what is something that you could not do before, right? Before AI, that you could do now, that in insurance with AI, right? Uh, what what comes to mind? So like business from business from business model, so new business, for example, that's one thing that comes to mind. And if you could give us an example of that, or something that we can do yet now because of AI, or we could do if we actually implemented it, um, like that becomes much much better, like an order of magnitude better because we use AI now. So I'll go back to first to two things where we can improve existing, I think, processes and existing mm -hmm. business with, with AI. Um, being able to process and automatically take into account information that comes from unstructured sources. Mm -hmm. You know, in our specific business, we, we talk a lot about insurance of complex risks, right? I mean, imagine insuring a factory right or a rocket mm -hmm. launch right or right. placing 20 satellites in orbit right in mm -hmm. one go and so on these are all relatively complex problems and they mm -hmm. we usually get a description of this of these risks in in in, in very different types of formats right uh, there is no xml standard for you know how well, you it's describe a, pile, a rocket it's launch, a pile of right? paper it's a pile of documents right and <laughs> and um, um, Obviously, today assessment of such risks is you know very labor intensive, or because it is very labor intensive, it sometimes tends to be very superficial, right? I mean, so you you have to make that choice, right? I mean, you pay a an expert engineer, right, um, a risk engineer to 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 do this assessment, or do you uh, do you instead just you know take some sort of a average mm -hmm. you know, um, risk factor or set of risk factors and just underwrite based on that? With or, the, or sorry for interrupting, or you hire an external company to to give you a report, but then yeah. you still need to underwrite it yourself. So you need to take that report and then. That's right. So so you have you have a couple of these phenomena here, right? That you have yeah. a lot of unstructured information that you're facing. So you have to pay yeah. somebody to go through that. You have yeah. to trust that entity, right? Whether it's your own employee or an external company, mm -hmm. and um, and then ultimately you have to decide, you know, how much you want to spend on this. And um, obviously, in the case of very large risks, where we potentially you know have big exposure and things like this, you 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 can make an investment, right? And then just you know to do this manually. But but even then, um, how do you benchmark? right, uh, between the different uh, manual approaches, right? Like you mm -hmm. uh, bringing automation, right? It's not just about pure operational efficiency. It's also about standardization to some extent, right? To be able to benchmark, right. to be able to see which approach works better, which one doesn't, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, especially in when the, the, the processes you know, achieve a certain volume, right? You, you, you need a level of standardization, right? So we strongly believe that um, many of these these modern technologies help, right, in in, in mm -hmm. going exactly in that direction. And I think there is a debate, right, how much 
you should actually, you know, automate. And at one point, maybe, you know, you start losing certain finesse, right, from, from, from the assessment of risk. But uh, that's definitely where the industry is going. It's definitely where we try to, to, to apply, right, this approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, analyzing unstructured data, especially text, but also pictures and all kinds of uh, videos and all kinds of things. Um, um, we recently actually are working on something like that uh, with one of our customers. And uh, it's about risk reports in engineering uh, uh projects uh, or either objects or they already exist or they are being built um it's a b2b case so insurance company insures either the industry or the or the company that is building some some new object and and these reports are quite extensive they can be hundreds of pages uh sometimes a thousand pages depends on depending on the and the size of the project and there are tools but i have i feel that there is a lot to do and especially with the like with these emerging new large transformer models and we can talk about that later a bit this could be a game changer and this could actually bring that the quality and the, the standardization of that type of analysis to the next level i agree i think it's a it's it's really changes things, right? It, it, it's another it's an order of magnitude of improvement that can be achieved, and this is quite powerful. So, taking a step back, you're a data guy, right? And uh, this stuff is about data. So there's no AI without data, uh, and companies need to build their data foundation, uh, and uh, a, and they need to have a data strategy. Uh, they need to think data, uh, and uh, in order to to be able to make data driven decisions, whether they are done then by AI, taken by AI, or by people, you still need data in both cases. So, um, what are the do's and don'ts? So, if we start from a company like yours, a large company. A global company what are the do's and don'ts from in a data strategy uh, that that come to mind it's a good point so so before before we get to so and intel intelligence is always needed to make decisions right and this can either be you know human intelligence right what we're <laughs> making making some yeah. of those calls right that we do that today it can also be ai but you're right i mean first you have to make sure that the the process, right, to feed the right information exists, right, and it's a reliable process. And mm -hmm. for for a lot of that, to build a reliable process that that um, pipelines data through an organization, you don't need AI, right? These are things that can be achieved with technologies that we've had for 20, 25 years. And um, more recently, Recently, and I think you know, with the advent of of, of clouds, uh, more distributed computing, right, less dogmatic, I think, approach to data management and so on, it's easier to build bigger and more interoperable data landscapes. Mm -hmm. um, companies like uh, in the financial industry definitely suffer from a lot of legacy, right, and then getting out of that legacy that is you know very tied to. Uh, proprietary data management methods, right, is a journey, right? And 
I sometimes feel like it's a bit it's a misnomer to say that uh, you know company has a cloud strategy or, or like especially one like ours, right? I, I think ultimately the company has or should have a data strategy and then implementation of the data strategy, which is whether it is by means of you know cloud mm-hmm. services from from big vendors, right, or you know open source or something like that, right? That's that's a little bit secondary. Mm-hmm. And I think in in many discussions have been the 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 carriage is a little bit in front of the horse, right? So uh, you do have to have a, a data strategy first. And I cannot necessarily speak for, you know, the whole industry, uh, but I can share some of the experiences and my own experiences, I guess, mm-hmm. my opinions, right, on, on that. Uh, one of the one of the things that, that one absolutely needs for a consistent data strategy is, first of all, realization that this is even a problem. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily <laughs> believe that the business um, functions right in, 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 in this industry fully understand or realize how important the, the flow of information truly is, right? The technical flow of information, right? Not just, not just the logical mm-hmm. flow of information. And um, maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't as important. The amount of information was, uh, was uh, smaller, right? The breadth of information was, was not there and so on. But at this point, we're really pushing a lot of information about customer, customer's behavior, in our case, risk, right? Location of the risk, history of the risk, et cetera. Um, you have to have an extremely well-oiled machinery to move that thing around from one function to another in the business in order to even think, right, of bringing truly transformative automation to it in the second or third step. So mm-hmm. what are the do's, right? Coming back to directly to your question, like one of the things is definitely about having... Uh, if possible, a single strategy, or if it's not a single strategy, then I'd have a, have a modular strategy. And what I mean by that is, if you have a big group, right, a, a conglomerate of some sort, or at least a bigger bigger group that has multiple business units, you, you probably want to have at least a group level strategy that is consistent, that defines uh, the interfaces between your units, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, not necessarily impose how they should you know, build their own data strategies inside, but impose what is the connecting tissue between them, right? And that that includes both logical prescriptions, right? So whether it is the you know exchange, logical exchange standards, right, between the units, ownership standards and things like that, SLAs, right, that the different units offer to each other, but potentially mm-hmm. also technical standards, right? And and be quite, I would mm-hmm. say probably quite dogmatic on that, right? The um Choosing the right or wrong technology in you know 2023 is is not a particularly big risk because a lot of the technologies in that space are somehow derivative of some open source standards that have emerged over the last years. Right, we have way less proprietary right. technology in information management and the information exchange than we used to have. So whether you choose a particular implementation of you know, Spark, SQL. Uh, Python or reporting right. stack and so on it doesn't actually matter all that much. So, but but you can make a decision as a company to go with one particular approach and just remove all the effort from maintaining multiple extremely similar software stacks right across the company because that's where I think that's my my personal belief is is that there is so much similarity between the different types of platforms and 
And choosing right. the best one doesn't change much, right? Uh, choosing one and stick, sticking to it and not having to deal with continuous you know, questioning of your choices or continuous interruptions from being in between two technology stacks, right? That is something that I personally find very valuable. And my, specifically in my job where we look at these, these data mesh uh, topics, right? We try to be extremely consistent. Mm-hmm. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit of the, you know, on the do's, right? Right, what to emphasize. Um, what one should not do is one should first and foremost not turn it into a crusade, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is it, these types of transformations absolutely must not be technology or IT function driven, right? They have to be very highly correlated with what your business functions want to achieve, mm-hmm. but also what they can assess as progress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, taking taking your organization for a five-year program and telling everyone that you need to wait the first five years before you can actually see the results of it, right, is, <laughs> is, is not a particularly good, good, good proposition. And to, to be honest, it is there. It is possible to 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 run such transformation and and, and build these you know data pipelines uh, that connect your whole company in, in a way that in a piecemeal way, right? So so bit by bit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, start by connecting two big units and show how to sort out their own problems inside, right? Then add a third one, then add a fourth one, and then the fifth one, then the sixth one, and volunteer to be next by themselves, right? That's a little mm-hmm. bit kind of the mindset I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so, 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 so coming back to the don'ts, right? Don't, don't, don't try to make it into a purely technical exercise. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I think don't fixate on 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 technology in in general either, right? Um, don't experiment maybe too much. Um, there's probably one other thing that I would say, like you don't always have to be on the latest and the greatest, you know, that has just been released in some open source channel, uh, which, you know, technologists sometimes tend to do, right? I mean, it's probably okay to be one or two years behind, you know, what the absolute cutting edge is. Right. Uh, at least for a company, you know, the size of, of, of mine. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I picked up on a few things. Um, so one of them is um, strategy. And so uh, I have two follow-up questions based on what you said. One is about strategy. The other one is about more specific, which is usually a, a topic and uh, about selecting a technology or a platform. Uh, but let's start with the strategy. You said we need a strategy. So, uh, so first realizing you actually need a strategy, that's the first step <laughs> uh, that you need to get your data sorted out. And then once you do that, you need to develop a data strategy. So what what is a data strategy? What are the pillars of a data strategy? What does that include? You mentioned a few things like uh, there, but could we uh, dig a bit deeper on that? Because so, that's uh, this is a topic. I'll start with something co- that some, we might sometimes forget and might sometimes be obvious to people who kind of you know spend their daily the days right and the whole life in in the topic but yeah there is a, there is a certain underlying assumption right the assumption is that if all the info if all the data of a company is available at any step of the decision making process or decision support process mm-hmm. we will be able to make a decision that generates a better business outcome so one of the objectives of the strategy is to 
make to bring so to increase the data availability right the the, the recency of the information the the, the the discoverability of the information right readiness mm -hmm. of information at any step of the process right that's a little bit how i can think about that uh, maybe not many people think about it like this in general terms but that's ultimately what it boils down to right like when you're in a point a and you want to support the decision taken in a nothing should stop you from utilizing all the information that the company has or all the information that is in the out on the in the outside world somewhere mm -hmm. that can support it right and like any friction to mm -hmm. provide all the information that needed in this point a right is wrong right so the data strategy should essentially answer a question how to eliminate uh all the friction right at the lowest possible cost right to date present cost and future right yeah uh, i i completely agree with that i mean it in other words it's could be this could be like seen from the perspective of an executive um when you ask a question uh about the business you need to have the answer at the tip uh, of your fingers right and now this is the ideal situation and you can only do that if you have the data at the tip of your fingers if you have the data right there now even in a even in my company which is a 50 people company um we don't have a data strategy right so we are too probably too small yet but still as as the ceo of my small company i struggle sometimes with questions i ask a question about financials and um and I'm, i don't have it immediately somebody in the team needs to go and work for a day or two in order to answer that question for me right mm -hmm. and so if you multiply this uh, by a hundred or a thousand uh then then you have a problem right if you cannot because the problem becomes so much bigger and such more complex so I could can completely relate even myself in my small company uh, and I can see that medium-sized companies of 500, 1,000 people, if they don't get that data right, they also have the same challenge, right? And they have, and they are much slower instead of getting the PNL uh, spreadsheet uh, in a day, they get it in a week, maybe or two weeks, right? In order to get an up-to-date, uh, the up-to-date numbers about the financials, for example. And this is so I completely, um, I completely relate to that. So. The goal you talked about the goal of a strategy now, now meaning that let's say I don't have a data strategy now. I and and I want to I want I'm at the point A where I don't have the data, the information um ready. At, uh, and now I want to move from A to B, and B is point where I have that, what you mentioned. So what are and I would say the strategy is a plan how to take you from A to B. What are what are the things that are part of that? How do we build a strategy that takes company a company for from that point A to that point B? So I'm not sure whether I can directly answer how to build a strategy. I think that can be you know the process of actually reaching the right conclusions right and putting the the plan mm -hmm. in place is, is, is something that can actually depend on the organization yeah. what, what i can probably say is what it is that leads you you know more conceptually right to the to, to to those outcomes like so how an execution of such a strategy normally normally 
mm-hmm. normally work. So if, if we assume, right, that the generic mm-hmm. data strategy is about uh, liberating the data, making it complete and making it accessible, right, for to the, to the, to the best, you know, level possible for any decision support process or any decision support point, maybe more specifically, right? For any mm-hmm. any decision point in your in your you know in in many of your business processes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then basically, if you if you start from there, you kind of work your way backwards, right? There 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 are a couple of questions that one can immediately ask and 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 start finding answers. So, like the first one will be if I'm in a in a point. First of all, how many decision points there are in the company that are important enough to be supported by a larger strategic effort, right? Mm-hmm. A company like mine, you know, that, that deals with with uh, uh, underwriting risk, right? For insurance purposes, obviously the underwriting uh, decision, right? Or decisions, right? Are, are one such thing. Um, capital allocation decisions, right? Are another um, yeah. Cash management, asset management, right? Like so, there is going to be a couple Blames. of classes of decisions that are all very potentially very data intensive. If you want to make them highly objective, right? And that is what you tend to want to do, right? You want to make them very objective and therefore data driven. Mm-hmm. And um, and that would really be the first step, right? Defining yeah. what it is that you really want to address, right? And there's more than one class of problems, right? And it, it the each class of problems tends to require a different data universe to support the decisions, right? So that will be essentially your second step. What are these data universes that you that you mm-hmm. need to have, right? What are the properties of those data universes, right? Do they have information from on the inside or from the outside world? Do they need to be real-time? Do they need to be daily, weekly, annually refreshed, right? There are different kinds of information. Yeah. Like you don't need to refresh your earthquake models every day right for instance right like that's Probably something not. that literally can be refreshed in the geological time scale right like uh, <laughs> it's like I'm, yeah. I'm joking a little bit right but like no matter what you know humans will do to the planet you know the frequency of earthquakes is probably not going to change right because of that no, or not, not much climate. right yeah 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 which is different to regular blood right where actually you might Want to refresh those those models, right? Based on that information, more frequently than you would like to. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing here is that um, you know it's something that we intuitively know, right? But if you put it into a class of let's say natural catastrophe phenomena, right? You could mm-hmm. theoretically have a single data strategy for that. Not true, right? Very different frequencies, different you know requirements. So this is where you get right. You have these clusters of information, then you probably want to group them a little bit and say, okay, what is the actual frequency at which you want to process that information, right? Refresh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, only then, I, I feel, uh, once you have uh, clusters of, of, of topics and information supporting it that you've identified, uh, and you have some clustering based on the frequency of processing, type of processing, where you should start asking yourself technical questions, right? Does it benefit from having a single technology that supports all our you know, very frequent, uh, you know, risk assessment processes or very infrequent or those based on, I don't know, satellite mm-hmm. images versus those based on, I don't know, chatter that you observe in the news, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's also a source of information. And um, you will end up, by, by performing that analysis, you will end up realizing that you have a, a classes of technical, infor- technical but information-centric topics, right? each of which can be largely worked on independently. 
And this is where you get to probably one of the first strategic decisions, right? Do you want to attack all these problems all at once and therefore spend, you know, a, a massive amount of resource in your company? Or do you potentially can attack them sequentially because they're, because it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, this is only how, how much investment you can, you can, you know, spend on this and, uh, or how much money you can spend on this every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to, not to see that level of sophistication in a lot of the, the the planning, right? Like a lot of a lot of a lot of work spent on improving such processes is based on more kind of generic strategies. Like for instance, hey, let's let replatform technology from technology A to B, or let's overhaul all of X, right? And X meaning a certain business process, not an information processing. Right uh, uh, phenomenon, right? So, right, or th- even that's, sometimes, that's how... even sometimes a process of like, uh, um, like uh, even a, sometimes it's even a, a department. Uh, so let's do exactly it for, right. Let's do and, it and for this, this where... department instead of that. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and I think that this is exactly where we fundamentally have uh, have issues, right, in compartmentalizing it. A data strategy should try and chart a path how to solve identify and solve information problems that may or may not correspond to organizational constructs. And organizational constructs are both organizations like teams or departments, but also business processes, right? A business process is very often orthogonal to an information process, right? A business process may push uh, Mm -hmm. changes to information, right? So like, how should I put it? A business process is a residual of information flow or vice versa, right? An information flow is a residual of a business process, but they are rarely one and the same thing, especially the more complex the organization, the less these two things align, right? And I think for, for a successful data strategy and information strategy, you need to focus on the information. Yeah, so we talked about decision points or information points where you need information. Um, then you talked about um, clusters or, or clusters of types of data, depending on how freaking do you need them, type of data, it is, what, what type of data it is. Then you talked about as a third step technology. Um, and I have a question, a particular question about technology. Um, so, but I also have another one about how these processes sometimes take place. So I've seen um, in the past, this starting in the other way. So starting from the technology, for example, and uh, you mentioned they could start from a business process. Let's let's uh, implement this for this business process or the, even for this department. This is one way. And I agree that it might not be the right way. And, but I've also seen, um, a uh, company ha- shaking hands with a tech vendor and saying, okay, let's take this tech and implement it in the company. And then the comp- and then people start like going around and hunting for uh, a use for the product, right? It's a bit what's happening now with ChatGPT, right? ChatGPT, great tech. How can we use this? It's like you yeah, walk absolutely. around with a hammer trying to find nails on the wall to hit it with this new hammer. And this also happens with data platforms, right? Uh, is, is this something that you confirm uh, that that happens? I I think so. Uh, I, I'll say the following, maybe. Um, 
the, the fact that information problems should not be analyzed in first and foremost technical problems does not mean that they are not technical problems, that they mm -hmm. are, right? And technology is important. We should not think that all technology is equal and that it's infinitely um, mm -hmm. you know, fungible, right? Like mm -hmm. it is not true, right? There is technology that is better than, than other, right? They sometimes right. on the face look the same. But I think in reality, the question is more about what is the change agent driving the organization, right? And here I'm a little be? bit, yeah, exactly. And here I'm a little bit less dogmatic. So I, I think, you know, in a very mature organization where everybody agrees that, I don't know, that that, in, that mapping out information flows and, and uh, improving our processes along the information flow, right, is is obvious like i think you can start from there right everybody is quote unquote enlightened right and uh, mm -hmm. there is very little resistance to that and you can you know constructively you know work mm -hmm. on, on 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 implementing you know bits and pieces right that mm -hmm. that that improve the situation here and there um but you don't always have that luxury right uh, you sometimes you have to wave a certain you know, standard in front of, of everybody and you know maybe that standard sometimes is hey let's migrate everything to the cloud, right? Or maybe that is, let's use a new database that is going to solve, you know, a lot of our problems. Because ultimately it's a little bit about a vehicle, right? People people have to kind mm -hmm. of, um, you know, get on the same bus and that starts mm -hmm. driving them somewhere. And sometimes, you know, whether this bus is that color, that, this color, that color doesn't really make that, no, that much of a difference. Um, what, what is important is that the people who actually, you know, lead that or drive the bus somewhere are aware that, that the bus itself is not that important, right? But rather the destination. That's, that's, that's a little bit how I would look at that, right? So I don't particularly, uh, how should I put it? I, I would not stigmatize anybody who tries to, you know, conduct a big transformation by saying we're changing technology, right? There may be very good reasons why in that specific organization, that particular call to action is, is okay, right? Like, I yeah, don't I, think it's I really see your point. correct, but academically speaking, but, but I think it's as but, a change made management I mean, technique, why not? I mean, and... And I'd like to get to the point, how do you select the technology? Because mm. I think this is a very interesting point to our audience. Uh, but to what you said, I, I, I agree with you, right? So I, I also see as technology being a driver for standardization and which is, and sometimes by, by using a technology, you need to adopt certain standards and certain ways of working that that technology sort of imposes. Um, that's right that create good habits and, and so it allows you to introduce actually good practices and processes in your company mm. to deal with data and information so so sometimes it's not really a bad idea just um to to actually decide for a standard for a tech and now that's what we use and uh we actually migrate everybody or everything as much as we can to one single standard which is implemented by this technology. It doesn't mean it's the best one. It doesn't mean, uh, but it's a standard. And if you chose your technology well, it's probably a good standard that imposes some good practices. So it's it's a good, it's also a way of driving um, change, right? And um, so I can see that, right? I can see that this is um, choose one, right? And then, 
choose one, but be careful and thoughtful in choosing it. Make sure that it implements the right standards. Then, but then sticking to it and sort of enforcing mm -hmm. it in a company like yours, uh, where there's a lot of um, heterogeneous, uh, the landscape is very heterogeneous. This could be a very cleansing, let's say, to the to the company. And I've seen that um, happening in a positive way, right? I've also seen the things that, okay, sometimes you're trying to shoot a small bee with a cannon. This also happens, but, well, it's just the price of having a standard. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I mean, there is, is a... Yeah. I, I, I cannot disagree. I think the... A lot of value comes from how should I put it? The the there is more value in in synergy or maybe like this synergies in being consistent. Consistency brings synergies. Consistency brings economies of scale. I will put it like yes. this. Um, so and brings us closer to global optimum, right? Rather than to a local optimum, right? So. If you were to maintain a very heterogeneous uh, technology landscape, right, in, in mm -hmm. a large company, you will have a lot of local optimum for sure, right? Uh, there will be, you know, team, department, whatever, using the absolutely best technology, right? If, if they know how to select it, right, they will use the absolutely the best technology to solve their specific problem. But you will never achieve a global uh, optimum for, for the whole company this way, right? You will always have, you know, three reporting stacks and four databases and three, you know, web servers and, you know, four clouds and so on, right? Like, I mean, I've seen that, right? And you have seen that, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's, that's a relatively common occurrence. Uh, but we have also seen technologies that are extremely razor focused on being consistent, right? And there is a strategic penalty that comes with this, but there's also a strategic benefit that eventually materializes, right? Yeah, there's a lot of efficiency coming from that. Exactly. Too. But yeah. the problem with this is that these strategic benefits materialize over time and are usually not too, ob too obvious, right? Like, so there's, there's a little bit of a, this joke, I remember, and it's not really a joke because it's something that, that, uh, that, that, that I experienced, like there was this, uh, you know, database administrator in, a, in the bank and he was fantastic, right? And he managed like 30 databases. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic, right? He knew everything about each of those databases and he managed them. And at one point the CTO said, well, why do I need you, right? All my databases are working fine. And um, <laughs> yeah, really, I'm just uh, laughing. Okay, that's, 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 that sounds like a joke, right? But it actually yeah. isn't. And, um, and this and this makes you wonder, right? Like, do, do people actually realize when they achieve a certain benefit, right? That is, so how do you see an opportunity cost, right? That you didn't have to pay, right? Like, it's it's hard to argue, right? That, That's hey, good... had we not seen that, we would have, our cost would have been 30% higher, right. right? Yeah. It's very easy to say, please change this. We are going to now remove 20, 30% of the cost, right? And obviously, mm -hmm. It's 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 an extremely hypothetical exercise, but if right. you've done the right thing, explaining that we're in a better position than everybody else, for instance, in our industry, right? Mm -hmm. It's frankly only possible through benchmarking. That's and it's extremely difficult to do, right? Yeah. So um, it's easier probably to do for technology companies where maybe they compete on outright on a on a specific technology. I don't know. Android versus iOS, right? Type of competition, right? Or something like that. Like there is making these comparisons is easier, right? There's more direct comparability, right? But mm -hmm. whether you compare 
bank A to bank B and whether you know their data landscape is better than the others, right? Can can be can be very very difficult. Uh, which is not to say that the benefits aren't there, right? Like this is this is what I'm trying yeah. to lead to. The benefits are absolutely but, there, but, but they it's may manifest difficult. in unexpected ways. But it's difficult to kind of um I mean they, they compare each other with their balance sheets, their yeah, their, exactly. their, their whatever their market, their stock price and their yeah. performance. But then where does that success come from? Um and how much of that success is actually um due to a good data strategy is hard to measure. Right? And exactly it's really difficult to 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 prove that okay, your data strategy led to this financial business outcome and yeah so this is um but 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 a a certain level of awareness there could potentially surface these phenomena so Mm -hmm. you you are able to tie the cleanliness of your your data and application landscapes to the speed at which you can launch a new product on the market or a speed at which you can adjust your underwriting strategy globally or to the speed at which you can report exactly right so exactly how long does it take to how long does it take to run an audit in your entire company for example financial audit for example yeah exactly or how quickly can you digitize a business process that never was supported by it right do you need six months for that or do you need three weeks right and you know in my job, right, we do actually measure these things and we do make these comparisons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can argue, right. right, that certain technology choices or certain architectural choices, mm-hmm. right, significantly change that outcome, right, or can significantly influence that outcome. Right. And uh, this is a really cool topic that I just added to our list. Um, how fast uh can one create a new business product in this case let's say in the insurance space um uh because of the capabilities that for example that you build uh that 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 company like yours has and how is that compared to 10 years ago for Mm -hmm. example and and this is a great topic um i'd like to talk about tech um this is a tech podcast too so (laughs) um we were at a very abstract level now, strategic level. Now, let's get to the tech, to the cool stuff. Um, now, how do I choose a tech platform, and and what what does that tech platform should have? Like we're talk- we're talking data data platform. There are several names for these data platforms today, uh, from data lake to data warehouse to data lake house to data mesh to um, whatever. What are the components that a data platform needs to have? Uh, let's start from that. Yeah. And, and how can you? How, how do you choose a good one? Right. Because good question. Very, very good question. I think the first question is, where do you position a data platform in the bigger tapestry of IT in your company? Right. Because that is already not a very obvious. Uh, there is no right. obvious answer to this. Uh, there, there are definitely two big modes in which information flows through a large, you know, at least financial institution, but I guess that it's, it's accurate for a lot of organizations, and most of organizations probably. You have the more kind of operational transactional flow. So think about 
you know, things that you do hundreds of times a day, right? You, you know, mm-hmm. you, you serve your clients, you make payments, right? You price um, goods or services and, and so on. Um, and then there is the kind of the bigger, and this is, there's probably, you know, a few dozen, maybe a few hundred systems, right? That the larger organization manages in that space, right? Like a bank will have an e-banking portal and, uh, you know, a transactional sub-ledger, right? Like a, an account uh, a management system, a banking management system, and they will have a general ledger and payment system, you know, and swift gateways and whatever, right? Like that's this whole space. Um, and that space basically implements a certain set of business processes that are heavily parameterized, right? By some people's decisions, right? So there are, there are strategic decisions that are um, expressed as parameters into those business processes. So for instance, there is going to be an underwriting ratio or an al- capital allocation cap or mm-hmm. a number of clients limit, right? Or, right. you know, things like this, right? You you Spread. And in order to derive or add the, or, or arrive at these parameters, right, you have to do a lot of analysis, right? And this analysis, these analytical processes continue in such an organization as well, but they are somewhat like a second or, yes, the second other big area of activity, right? So one is, you know, running the, the machines, right, and running the operations. And the second one is analyzing the performance of operations and adjusting the parameters of operations, right? And this is the, the big analytical space, decision support space. And okay, then, so analyzing and changing, so the changes, then they, are, they go back to the... Exactly, right? So, so in you're, a way, talking about, the, you're talking about transactional and analytical That's right. parts. So, right? So, so think of it like this, right? In a maybe sort of simplistic way, the purpose of, of the analytical space is to parameterize the operational space. Because frankly, you know, otherwise there's no business, right? Like, you know, the analytical space may also produce some interesting facts just, you know, for popular science purposes, right? But that is rather a minor element, right, of of activity, right, in a a company. Most of it should feed back to some decisions, right, that that influence operations, right? At minimum, it's about, you know, assessing the level of risk, you know, setting the right capital allocation and so on. But in some fine detail, it can even be, you know, individual underwriting thresholds, ratios, right, values, and and so on. And so I tend to think of these two spaces as somewhat separate. And Mm -hmm. when we talk about what a data platform should entail and what capabilities it should have, I usually think about the analytic space much more than I think about the operational space. And that is just because that is where, you know, my experience um, has been for for a long time. But I think there is also a good reason to separate these two worlds. Yeah, and 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 that I was talking about that, right? So the uh, yeah. uh, well, I mean, when I asked the question about a data platform, I didn't mean the data that the data platform or the data the technology that supports the day to day transactions. I'm not talking yeah. about that. I'm talking about the the other part, right? The, yeah. the analytics part, the, the 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 ones that support decisions that um, that sometimes are then fed back to the transactional. Uh, um, areas and often actually they are um, but so how do you so let's not call it data let's call it analytics uh, data and yeah, analytics or, or platform, a data platform. Right? so 
right? frankly, and, probably, and how it has you... to have two capabilities, Paolo. Yeah. I think it has to be able to store data and it has to be able to compute on that data. And both mm -hmm. of these things have to be done reliably and in today's world at large scales. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are the two fundamental things, right? And um, it sounds trivial, right? But it's actually not the trivial, right? Because the storing data can be, you know, delivered by a file store, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know, a network drive, right? A bunch right. of hard disks, but it doesn't necessarily deliver on the compute. And on the other side, if you take, you know, a traditional database or something like that, it introduces way too many constraints, right? So if you want to expand the definition, it's storing any kind of data at scale and provide computational capabilities on that. Mm -hmm. And if you want to expand it even further, then you have to say and do it in a reliable and um, uh, compliant fashion. And then, you know, when you add this additional thing, right, you basically realize, well, I have to have very good uh, access management and security capabilities around it. But but once you have this kind of total freedom of computation and storage that is delivered in a secure and well access managed fashion, mm -hmm. you're kind of there. Um, what does it mean practically, right? Like, and this is where we get to the selection. Practically, it means you have to you have to choose whether you're going to deliver these capabilities on your own, like building it together from from the pieces that you can buy on the market. Um, go to AWS and set up your, you know, data lake, right? Or S3 or Athena or uh, RDS and then things like this and kind of put it all together to achieve the, the security and, and compliance plus the technical capability to process information. Or do you go and buy something a little bit, you know, more ready-made from the market? Uh, and um, my, my personal experience here is that it makes more sense to build it on your own to fit into the needs of your organization, but it is only realistic if your organization has very heavy engineering DNA. If it doesn't have an engineering DNA, it might look good on paper that you build it yourself, but in reality, you're going to be at the mercy of vendors and consultants anyway. In which case, mm -hmm. you probably could have bought something to some extent prefabricated, you know, from from the market. Right? And there are a couple of prefabricated solutions out there that that still deliver on a lot of these dimensions. They're maybe slightly proprietary, although not not by much. Um, and that's a little bit kind of the the journey we've been on, right? We've 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 uh, we've built mm -hmm. certain things on our own, and then realized that you know, not building some big construct is not in our DNA working with inspired enlightened vendors who have it in their dna is easier for us right mm -hmm. but then i know also the reverse is true you know can go to a, a highly and i'm not even talking about software engineering but just a company with an engineering mindset could be a you know um, like you're in germany right so uh, there are plenty of big industrial companies out there right like mm -hmm. people with the right engineering mindset can build software as well as you know heavy machinery and, and manufacturing plants mm -hmm. the same kind of phenomena are are yeah. kind of at play there right so i think that um, a you know a an, an industrial conglomerate still has a, a a much bigger fighting chance of building a a good uh, you know software for themselves than a financial company to be very honest right mm -hmm. um okay. So, so that's a little bit how we look at this. And I, um, one should not 
shy away, I think, from working with good partners. Right, that's probably one of the, mm-hmm. the, the biggest learnings that that we've had. Right, um, if if you choose the right partners with the right technology, right, you you can you can avoid taking a lot of risk that you didn't even realize that that you will face. Mm. Okay, so. Um... Sticking a bit to the tech platform, so in a in a the, that capability, um, so storing the data um, and the different types of data, right? So, what are the sort of the types of, let's say, let's call them different types of databases or types of data storage options that such a platform should have these days, right? I'm thinking from the top of my head, like uh, classic tabular data, so relational data. Yeah. and uh, documents like text documents but then pictures and video uh or time series whatever i mean mm. there's so many times of types of data these days is it all the same does such a platform need to have different types of databases pots for this kind of data mm-hmm. how, how does that work so we i think we've in, in on our journey we've learned that on the level of pure storage, right? That is secure and uniformly managed from the point of access, right? I think there, one platform, one capability is enough, right? You can, and and think of it essentially as, you know, some sort of form of cloud storage, right? Can be S3, can be Azure Blob Storage, right? Both of them are are quite, quite, quite equivalent. Your data platform, your target data platform simply has to have one of these, right? And it has to have a single consistent uh, access management and security on top of that, and that already solves sixty to seventy percent of your your problems, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's the, the scalability, the elasticity, or security and compliance problems, you can solve them on that layer. You don't need to go anywhere else. You can solve all of them on that layer, and in most cases, capabilities to solve your problems are already coming with that layer, right? Whether it will be you know. AD policies in, in Azure, or whether it will be the, the uh, IAM policies in, in, in AWS, right? Like you, you are able to piece together a very, very good construct, right? A very good foundational layer. Now, on that foundational layer, you have to have the the processing layer and the serving layer, and these two are. Um, this is where the, the discussion about individual pieces of technology comes into play, right? Like. Yeah. Um, in our experience, you know, we have one this extremely generic uh, processing layer that we use a lot, right? A Swiss Army knife of processing. In our case, it's it's uh, all running under Spark. Mm-hmm. We basically decided that most of our tabular data that we extract from our you know relational databases, as well as uh, structured but non-tabular, so for instance, the folders full of objects, right, JSON files or whatever. All of these mm-hmm. things are extremely easy to process with Spark. But even even slightly more complex things like um, images, right, or or other things that can be processed with re- with relative ease in parallel, they will all fit a a computational par- paradigm that Spark offers, right? So mm-hmm. all the heavy duty ingestion, pre processing, and and initial stages of processing can be done in that layer in most cases. Mm-hmm. Where it gets very tricky, where, where where we see a lot of confusion on the enterprise architecture, let's say, level, is what to do next after that. Right. And uh, there, the selection of technology for the right purpose is important. And I have one general observation there. Mm-hmm. Um, do not 
worry about duplication of data or even using or, or, or putting the same data into multiple serving stores for your final bits of processing, right? So if you have a Postgres or Elasticsearch or uh, I don't know, Cosmos DB or something like that, because that is a serving store that will interact with your application the best for this last mile of data mm -hmm. delivery or data discovery, right? And you even need to push the same information to these three constructs because you know different users in different applications will look at the same information with a slightly different from a slightly different angle. Sure. That's absolutely yeah. fine. Okay. There's and like the cost of doing that is trivially low compared to you know the capability to learn. And I've been in a position where people have you know questioned like why do you why do you duplicate data or replicate data and like. You know, it's that's mm -hmm. not the discussion that one has to have in 2023, right? This is like you know three percent of the cost of a solution, right? Um, right. Or four storage. or five, maybe, right? Storage. <laughs> so, um, one thing that comes to mind is bringing the data in. So the the capability, this ability to bring the data in, or, or bringing them out to, let's say, okay, I understand. Uh, you have. Let's say in your case, you chose a solution um, from a vendor, and I think the vendor is public, so I don't think we need to be secret about it. Volunteer, mm -hmm. and it's uh, um, uh, basically it stores the data on a distributed file system, um, on top of which Spark uh, works, uh, and and basically, so you but you, you need to bring the data in. How do you bring how do you bring the data in? Is that part of should that be part of a platform or not, or is that something else? Oh, and the in, second in question case, I have, is, yeah. You know, the second question I have is, um, or should that be part of the platform that you choose? I understand mm -hmm. in your case it is, or, or should it not? Right? Um, uh, what is the best uh, decision here? And and then in the cases where okay, the data is on on a distributed file system. Well, that's not really how I need it in my reporting application because it's not easy for me to query it for some reason. Mm -hmm. I need mm -hmm. something else. I need um, whatever, um, Postgres, as you said, because it's easier for me to make mm -hmm. SQL queries that are performing. So I'm... How do I bring the data then to the to that Postgres? And is that Postgres still part of that platform or is that outside? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all good questions. So um, to answer your first question, do we believe that the data capture, data ingestion capability should be considered part of the platform? My experience tells me yes. And there is one reason. So because the, what is the alternative? The alternative is the data is pushed, right, from various sources and it just magically appears, right, in... in that usually means that you're not exactly sure where it came from or how it came to be. If we drive the data ingestion process from inside the data platform, we do have this additional piece of information about the data lineage within the platform. So you can, you know, in, in our specific case, right, we can kind of trace the, the, the pedigree, the, the provenance of data from the final report all the way to the SQL query that was issued on all the source tables that were mm -hmm. extracted from some operational systems or maybe from some legacy data warehouse or ODS or, or something like that, right? That we still have in our landscape. We prefer this to a scenario where file called atr007.dat lands you know, every <laughs> day at 7 a.m. 
by some mysterious, you know, SFTP process, right? Like mm. that, that, that obviously in that case, it requires a much more rigid, you know, documentation outside of the data platform and, and so on and, and rigor, which I think is difficult to maintain over long periods of time, right? So I prefer to have the ingestion capability as part of the platform also because it allows me to steer the frequency of ingestion uh, you know, better. Obviously, this comes at a cost that the source system has to be prepared, you know, to offer the data. The way we do that is we actually, uh, to, to kind of to close the loop on this, we, we give the responsibility of sourcing the data into the platform to the owner of the source, but we give them the tools that are part of the data platform, right? So a function that owns the source has the responsibility for operating the ingestion onto the data platform as well but not by pushing right. data, but by using our tools, right? So, so they can, exactly, exactly. So it's more like a, there is a personal union, if you want, right? That that, that okay. deals with, or at least that's the model that we try to push. It doesn't mm-hmm. always work with every team and so on, but, but that, that's the model we like. Does that mean that you encourage that, um, like an API driven kind of uh, landscape that you can actually pull this data from APIs or how do you, so how do we encourage most of that? The data, could, could well, most of the be... data that we have today is still tabular, right? So it's uh, it's using you know standards like you know JDBC or ODBC connections to do data. To go, go where it doesn't database. exactly where it doesn't where we have uh, especially external sources, right? So some internet-based sources, right? These are usually going to be you know some form of you know like restful SAS. sources and yeah, yeah, exactly. And we we do have uh, a capability to basically you know, pull data or leech or, you know, however you want to call it, right? Scrape data from those from those APIs mm-hmm. in, in, in a way that is operationally sound, right? And, and, and resilient to, to errors. And, uh, but it's part of the same kind of strategy, right? Like mm-hmm. we still kind of prefer that whoever maintains that relationship with this external source also engineers the pull into the data platform. Okay. Yeah, and then your second question, are those yeah. serving stores, right? Uh, so, in our case, most, not all, but most of the serving stores are part of the same bigger data platform. And the reason is automation of, of, of synchronization of data, right? So when you think about this level mm-hmm. of, of dumb storage that only that is only files and they are you know, processed mm-hmm. in Spark, um, you, you want to essentially one click, you, you want to achieve a capability where there's like a one click, uh, you're one click away from having the contents of your parquet table in your Postgres mm-hmm. whenever this parquet table updates. Um, and that's what we've achieved for in Elasticsearch capability, Postgres capability, and um, maybe one or two others. We also have like some more more specific things like a map server, for instance, adjacent mm-hmm. kind of to the the Postgres and, and so on. Um, we prefer to have it inside of the platform because then not, first of all, the synchronization, right, can be done just in time whenever data refreshes. It's only whenever it's 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 stale and 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 this way we we, we reduce the, the cost mm-hmm. basically and increase the data uh, recency. Uh, but also because we are able to apply the exact same access management um, to to the data, right? So in our case, this the exact same access management rule will apply to data, uh, logical element of data, whether it is stored in the data lake or mm-hmm. whether it has been mirrored to a Postgres table or whether it has been indexed into Elasticsearch, right? Okay. If, if the data is 
you know, accessible by Paulo Nunes, it will be accessible by Paulo Nunes in these three places based on exactly the same one single access policy, right? If, well, the, if those components were outside of the data platform, we would have to replicate or mimic the yeah. access management policies, which is less trivial then, right? Or, okay. or and there is, it's prone to desynchronization. Okay. So, all right. So uh, the so tech platform should have a capability. Uh, so you should be able to store data. Should be able to compute on the data. It's very useful, from what you said, to have also capability to bring data in um, uh, because of lineage, for example. Uh, and you have uh, you probably also are able to standardize that process of bringing the data, those pipe data pipelines. Let's 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 call them that way. And uh, then it's also useful to have the serving, let's say the serving stores, the whatever, the, the data marts the, mm -hmm. the, or the equivalent um, for different types of data is also useful to have them in the, as part of the same ecosystem for many reasons among them. Um, well, governance is probably the main, the the the, the most. Uh, but also, you talked about performance, and so the how how fast that happens, right? How fast the data can be there, available. Um. So the question is then, that seems like a very complete set of uh, capabilities in one single platform. How many platforms are like that in the market that? That have those um, capabilities, and maybe we could just briefly talk about a few examples of other. So we understand that Volunteer Foundry is the product that you, you and your company use, but are there other products in the market that also have all these capabilities? Um, and and I have a follow up question, but I don't ask it yet. <laughs> So, so of course, so there are a couple, at least a couple of other, you know, alternatives. Like, yes, you're, you're right. Like we work with Foundry and, uh, you know, it serves our purpose well, you know, we've been doing it for a good couple of years now. Uh, but, uh, you know, being able to put together something similar by using um, individual services from AWS or from Azure is also feasible. Mm -hmm. uh, no question about that. It does not come as prepackaged, right? So there is quite a bit of work where you have to still configure it exactly to your liking, right? And like, I mean, you do this every day, right? But, you know, setting up a, a, a larger data lake structure on Azure, you know, requires you to define everything from networking policies, right? And creating the yeah. network to instantiating the endpoints to applying ACLs, right? To creating it's a major, Databricks workspaces and so on. It's a major undertaking. It's a major right? project, like, yeah. Exactly, right? So all the base capabilities are definitely there. And that is, and basically with that comes infinite flexibility, right? Uh, but obviously as the joke goes, right? Also enough rope, you know, to potentially hang yourself 10 times over, <laughs> right? So, it, but, but that's what it is, right? It comes with infinite flexibility, no mm -hmm. question. You will almost never run into a, a constraint that you cannot overcome, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you you have to know what you're doing. Uh, similarly with AWS, and you know you've seen on both in, in both uh, in the Microsoft and AWS worlds, you have this somewhat prepackaged uh, um, proposition. I think the, the most recent, I think, from branding Microsoft. name from Microsoft is Fabric, right, or something yeah. like that. And yeah. and AWS outright just had like a data lake builder or or something, something of that sort, right? Yeah, they are moving um, closer to more 
ready to go uh, yeah. data platforms. Yeah. And then okay. there are a couple of these niche vendors that usually kind of, they somehow occupy 60, 70% of the whole stack, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't want to name them because they're, they're very many, right? But the, mm -hmm. many of those coming from the, you know, from the reporting world, you know, or from no code analysis world and so on. And there are some variations of mm -hmm. Spark, Hadoop enabled, you know, data environments. And I think you're you're it's you're able to 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 put together an architecture like that with most of them. And you know, I've spoken to my peers and other large companies, and some of them have been very successful building or putting together things like that on their own. Others have gone with one of those vendors and uh, and selected them. Uh, mm -hmm. As I said at the beginning of that podcast, I, I don't believe that it necessarily matters much to the final outcome, but mm -hmm. it matter w which platform you select. What, mm -hmm. what is important is that you stick to your choices, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Consequently, right? So the consequence, right? right? And, and your choices matters a lot. And it might cost you to, if you want to have much more flexibility, right? So if you decide to go on a path where, where you want to build a lot of things on your own, it will just cost you more, right? That, that's, that's, I think, a, a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Is it going to end up uh, being a much bigger beast to maintain that's going to be much more expensive and so on. Frankly, I don't think anybody in the world today has answered to that because nobody is more than five, six years into a journey like this just mm -hmm. yet, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's a little bit where we are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so one thing that uh, that I wanted to ask you uh, since, uh, uh, like, since you mentioned that uh, how can you measure so we talked about until now about data strategy and, and how do you choose the technology platform the do's and don'ts we talked about how can they how can that help an organization and you mentioned before that one of the ways you can measure how good is your data strategy is actually um in how fast you can move things and that means, for example, going to the insurance space, how fast can you bring a new product to the market, right? Now, do you see a difference there, right? I, and I, uh, we used to work together, right? So that's how we met each other. And uh, we went a bit separate ways in the last seven years, I, I think. And, and something has shifted there. Something has happened. So... Do you see a difference, right? How fast could, in, in your experience, a company launch a product uh, and, and how fast can it do it now? Can, can, can it do it much faster now because of this transformation that, uh, that you worked on? I think, uh, yeah, the question is, is, is really good. I think we, we have a couple of examples. And like, if you, if you go to you know, my, my employer's website, there are some mm -hmm. uh, interesting like digital uh, service propositions. Yeah. We had this has definitely accelerated. Um, whether it has directly accelerated because of a data platform or analytics strategy or data strategy, I would say partially, but I think it was not directly related one 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 to the other. Uh, this was the, the fact that we were able to launch certain digital value proposition faster has more to do with our general overhaul of, of how we build applications, right? So it's more the journey to the cloud, right? And the modularization and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. reliance on, on software as service or platform as service, right? That, that, that allows us to 
to speed up, I, I, if I were to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. Where I believe the data platform has significantly helped is in um, demonstrating how quickly we can inject technology into decision support processes where before, you know, projects like these would have been major undertakings that are, you know, six, nine, 12 months. Mm -hmm. I have now seen multiple examples where we, you know, walk into a, let's say, a proverbial team that operates only on Excel and, and, and paper, and they end up having a fully kind of platform supported workflow or set of workflows within six to eight weeks. That is something I have not seen much, uh, you know, neither seven years ago when we worked together, nor 10 years yeah. ago, nor 15 <laughs> years ago, right? So we had a couple of examples like this. And this basically had, there is a very simple, simple, there's no magic there, right? The, 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 this comes from the fact that data that this team needs is already onboarded into the data platform, mm -hmm. that the application building components are pre-made, right? So there's basically prefabs that are ready. Mm -hmm. and, and that the kind of data processing components that are required are part of the data platform as well, right? So basically you walk into a, so if when you build an application from ground mm -hmm. up, we now walk into a room or to a house that is already 70% finished. Right. And we just worked on the remaining 30%, right? So instead of having a three or six month project, mm -hmm. we have a four to eight week project, right? Like literally that's, right. that's where we are, right? So, and that I believe yeah. is, is a big change. Yeah, so I hear different things here. Um, so one that you mentioned, okay, even if the date, I believe that also even if the date is not onboarded yet in the platform, it's also much faster to do it now than it used to be before. Of course, because yeah, I that, remember, that's true, yeah. I remember like if you, before, if you had to build ETLs and bring the data into a data warehouse, create data marts and all that, that would, that that was not as fast as, as now. Um uh, that's one thing then the the bu building the, the 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 processing and the analytics workloads the transformation is also something that became easier and faster once the data is in that i also see i also see that but there's another important component that you mentioned is that the pre-built components the sort of low code or the low or no code aspect to building analytics applications right mm -hmm. that has also evolved in the last years and that, that um that that emerged this makes the whole process of building a reporting application or an analytics application that supports decisions much faster right and brings that from six months or one year to six weeks or eight weeks is that would that be a good summary I think so, and maybe just on that on this last aspect, that the 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 reason why why when, when you think about it, it's not just really about templatizing things, but basically our data platforms, you know, output is is data. Our data is objects, right? It's it's basically an object layer that is ready to go mm -hmm. to be used by an application, right? So if you need to build this final UI, that's really what you're doing, right? Like all your mid low level and middleware is is already there right it's prefabbed for you so so that's how we should be thinking about this right like mm -hmm. there is also a bit of an aspect that you have low or no code ui let's say builders right wizards creators and so on 
But I would say that isn't even the biggest thing, right? They, because you still need to do work, right? Like no matter whether you write code or you click, you know, some buttons and so on, like you end up doing a lot of work, right? And that that, that doesn't yeah. go away. But not having to worry about provisioning your data, you know, structuring it for your application, right? Usually, you know, making some exclusive decisions, right? For mm. just for your application, rather than maybe for multiple applications, right? These things is where 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 these are the things where where we see a big you know benefit, right, of, of mm. doing it usually once centrally in a standardized way. All right. Yeah, I I also I mean I also see that um, that's happening. So I had one more question before we close. Um, actually, two. <laughs> one is. Uh, something that I mentioned at the beginning uh, when we uh, when we're doing the the, the briefing um, for a middle so you you work for a large company a global large company you now there is this uh, uh, there is this tissue of medium companies let's say that like let's say from five hundred to one thousand or two thousand employees. Um, what would be your advice to them in terms of um, uh, in terms of going about a data strategy and selecting a data platform? Um, because, for example, it, it seems that something like Palantir Foundry is a good fit for large enterprise. is It's a costly, uh, let's say, that's the Rolls Royce of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't want to mention brand, mention brands, but I just ended up doing it's the Rolls Royce yeah, yeah. of of data platforms. I, I, I understand where you're one of them. From. What what does it, uh, like a medium company? How does a medium company need to think about this? And what would be your advice in order to to should they build? Should they buy? And if they buy, what should they buy? Uh, kind of how, or what is the criteria? For, not the product, but the criteria to choose a product. I, I don't know if I have a single answer to that. I, I think mm -hmm. the what what I would say is that the, the less resources you you have, the, the less you should succumb to temptation to build things just for you, right? Like mm -hmm. your your medium sized company is not unique. I think in terms of the problems, right? That that it faces. So I think there is a very there is a there is a strong rationale to assume that a, a pre-made data platform from a you know medium-sized vendor might actually be an ec more economical choice than mm -hmm. trying to build something on your own. Uh, you may initially think that building something on your own is cheaper because you only look at the cost of the materials rather than at the cost of the assembly, right? So if there is one there is the one thing that I would recommend here is to to be very honest about assessing the cost of assembly, right? And second guess anybody who comes up with a recommendation, right? If the cost of assembly is less than, you know, 80% of your of your project cost, then there's probably, it's probably wrong. <laughs> that's that's really how I, how I look at so that. In, right? in so, other words, probably, you probably shouldn't build it yourself. I, I don't not. think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think so, right? Because you're, yeah. you're going to fail you, you're going to fail or you're going to miss uh, misestimate the cost of assembly. Yeah. yeah. So don't build it yourself. Take Don't underestimate the cost of, of building and maintaining, right? Because it's also maintaining and the total cost of, of having that. Um, so I, I tend to, seem to have the same opinion. 
Um, and um, yeah, so uh, I have one last question and it's around this hot topic, uh, the hottest topic in the last six months yeah. called ChatGPT. Um, how do you see uh, ChatGPT, uh, large, large language models in general and ChatGPT in particular, um, do you see that changing the way um, people approach data uh, strategy and approach uh, this this kind of topics? Hmm. I do, but I I don't fixate on large language models as a specific category. So a lot of my you know hobby or let's call this like in, informal research has always been in kind of like intelligent agents, like where you look at you know automation industry or or you know in computer games mm-hmm. and chat gpt or gpt kind of technology to build large language models is just one way of building intelligent agents right and probably from what we see an extremely efficient way of building intelligent agents right because mm-hmm. you essentially can you know program them in english right so to speak mm-hmm. um, or at least that's the promise right the promise is that you are able to achieve a lot of semi-intelligent output right uh, behavior by by literally just dictating the task, right? The a big mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that this is a knowledge repository that you should query, right? And, and kind of put it on the same mental level as Google or Wikipedia, right? That's nonsense. That's not what it is, right? No. It just happens to be trained on these sources, right? So it can sometimes give you accurate or semi-accurate answers. But in reality, from what we've seen, right, it's more this... Uh, the, the ability to reason on a piece of input, right? That that is actually quite interesting, right? So, right. you know, feeding it a, a document and saying, "Can you please summarize it for me?" or feeding a document and saying, "Hey, do you believe that you know, based on that contract, I should uh, you know, pay out an insurance claim, right, or something like that?" Right. And and this is where we well, see 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 the ability go, to create these intelligent agents. Are you go and, like if you get a piece of reliable information and give it to it and say I'm using this reliable piece of reliable information give it something right. useful, right? You can't rely exactly. on it for for accurate information, but you can use it to help you distill process that's right. Uh, reliable information. So, so exactly. So coming back to what we were discussing, right? Data pipelines, right? And, and open data flow in a, in, in a big organization, right? Mm-hmm. There is probably a thousand and one points during a flow of a nugget of information through an organization where you can enrich it, right? And you can make some decisions, right? Uh, based mm-hmm. on that. And that's exactly where I currently see, you know, a big benefit, right? Of, of these types of intelligent agents, right? You can really relatively quickly train them to enrich information at multiple steps along the way and uh, mm-hmm. eliminate the need of having a human in the loop everywhere, right? Or reduce the the amount mm-hmm. of human in the loop, right? And kind of bring us to a level where a lot of business processes are very much exception handling processes than another way around. Like a little bit like, you know, when you look at IT today, you know that, right? Like nobody pushes bytes through a network. Everybody monitors whether the network runs by itself, right? And like you want to achieve this level of cohesion and automation on this much higher business process and business information flow level, Mm -hmm. right? So having intelligent automatons right in that process, right, whether they are trained using, you know, LLMs or, or some similar technologies is definitely where I see a massive amount of opportunity. Uh, now, are there opportunities beyond that, right? So can you train your own models based on your, your own information, fine tune, you know, and, and create, you know, even higher order, you know, automation and, and behaviors? 
of course, right? We're going to get there eventually, right? But if you ask me today, what is going to be the focus for the next two, mm-hmm. three, four years? I believe it's still going to be implementation mm-hmm. of those um, of those models mm-hmm. in relatively narrow, self-confined tasks mm-hmm. where the output is rather, uh, you know, preordained. So like, you know, asking a single question, expecting a mm-hmm. single output and so on. Like, I don't believe that we are at a stage where we can uh, breed an, an, an agent that can just, you know, plan a complex set of activities that is, you know, that mimics, the, um, mm-hmm. you know, a complex human behavior that is, you know, right. 20, 30 steps and that anybody right. will will be sold on the accuracy of that behavior, right? Like mm-hmm. we will not be able to ensure that it will be accurate or reliable, you know, to the extent, right? It's a little mm-hmm. bit like with, you know, self-driving Tesla kind of problem, right? Like, we're almost there, but we're not completely there. And, you know, it's it's going to be in beta for another, you know, five years. All right. That's a little bit how I look at this, mm-hmm. uh, which is so, not to say that it's not extremely compelling, right? When you when you see the demos and, and what it can do, it's mind-blowing, right? To, to some it, is, it is. It is. It, it's, it works like magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite amazing. And um, uh, yesterday I was talking to a, to a customer of ours and we were discussing uh, like a, a case a use case for exactly for that for applying a large language model or gpt um, to and the case was very interesting uh, it was about around data processing so uh, basically there is there's lots of legacy some sol- uh, sources of information um, knowledge base old like uh, old knowledge bases with various levels of quality, let's say, and, and also quite heterogeneous. So there's like, let's say, handful of different pots of information. Well, this this is a customer customer service uh, kind of case where, and, and the questions can be quite technical coming from the customer. And the idea was to use this kind of model to sort of when when you're bringing this data from these different pods uh, into one single place that actually can be used to answer customer questions, that you use a large language model to help do some work to work on the quality of that information actually, mm-hmm. and to not only to summarize it but also to extract relevant things to bring it to a style of, of communication writing that is actually. Uh, more or less um, uh, kind of uh, consistent, right? That it mm-hmm, does, mm-hmm. because these things were written by different people. Mm. So replacing a bit of editorial kind mm. of work that a person would need to, that people, actual humans would need to do. And then you still have that in the end, a sort of a sign up from the communications team. Okay, this is a good piece of, this would be a good answer, a good piece of answer. But that, like transformation of the data coming from the original is actually assisted by this large language models. That was quite an interesting conversation. Yeah, and and so it it's kind of a data processing step that is assisted by a, a, a large language model. And this is it's quite powerful because it also helps kind of organizing the data in the right way and bringing it to quality to the quality that you need because data quality as you probably know even better than me is is also one of the things that you need right you can have 
great data lake, but if your data doesn't have quality, <laughs> we haven't yeah. had the chance to talk about that, about quality, and this would be a topic for another day. But yeah, I I, I can see this kind of uh, intelligent agents or this kind of uh, assistance in, in in different steps of, of the way here and there. Uh, this could this can be done already now, even without having to train your your own model from scratch or without having to fine tune um, uh, a model like that uh, with your data. But you can just use it as something that understands language and can actually be a bridge between um, two things. And, and uh, so that's that's really exciting. And alone, that is is a big. I think it's going to be a big um a big step yeah. i agree i agree i mean it's uh i mean i'm sure that we will have to tackle this right in our journey and you know obviously you know things here pop up here and there but i currently do see it more as a yet another step you know in your longer longer you know transforms or pipelines rather than something completely entirely new i think we're gonna get to a point where this something significantly different, but I think we're still not at that stage. I mean, your example is actually a good example. Yes, it's a very complex task to smoothen style of a piece of text, but at the same time, it's just a simple task, right? It's a, a simple task in the sense that it has a very definite input and a very definite output, right? Uh, difficulties maybe in measuring the quality of that, right? But it's not difficult to confine it to only one step, right, in your process. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, people, and people who think that these these language models can be used for planning of complex tasks, right, are are in my opinion reaching a little bit too far currently, right? Yeah. Which is not to say that there will that LLM or GPT maybe type of technology is not going to be one of the tools to build complex planners. Yeah, right? Which is a, but that's a, a little bit of a different different topic, right? Yeah, definitely. Is there All anything right. else? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Lucas? No, I don't think so. I think it's actually quite quite interesting and challenging questions. I, I, uh, I, in, in some way, you know, I always envy like you know people like you who, who who work with multiple companies to to see the kind of breadth of problems that are out there. Right? I usually have to focus on the depth of you know very few problems. Um, so it's interesting, you know, to also be challenged and to yeah. talk a little bit to somebody, and especially since you know, you know, also a lot of the world, you know, in which I currently uh, currently operate. Since we 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 met there, yeah, yeah, and our big changes. I mean, I see a big change looking back uh, seven years and where the comp your company was and where it is now. It's um, you've done a great job there, and I think that even though that's hard to measure. I still think that, that that it's going to help the company in the future uh, really become uh, data driven. So this is, um, I also have a lot of admiration for your work, and I believe that I've been at both sides uh, as a as a company uh, in a company doing deep work and, and getting busy with uh, with the details, also owning something end to end. Right? That's that's uh, <laughs> that's something. In that position, you learn a lot, right? Now, being on that other side of the uh, service provider, you can see what other, what the companies are doing, but you actually get to value people like you more that actually own things end-to-end -end and know <laughs> what it means 
to build something and then to run it afterwards. And these conversations are gold. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for being here, for coming, Lucas. Thanks for the invitation. All, always a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it again in the future <laughs> soon. And uh, All right. have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching our episode, the episode, this episode of our podcast. Don't forget to give us a like if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel, or uh, you can also listen to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and Google um, Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening and watching. <laughs>